Well, good morning, church. How are we today? Good, good, good. That's excellent to hear. For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Ben Hertz, and, and I'm the pastor here. And what a joy it is to gather together to remind ourselves of our Savior. Amen? We need reminded of him every day because every day we forget, don't we? Every day we can find ourselves wandering away from the truth of the beauty and the peace that we have with Christ, but amen, he has come and conquered death for us. A couple announcements for you. Uh, first of all, if you are on the outside edge of your rows, uh, there's a register there in front of you. Please be sure to grab that. We'd love for everybody to fill that out, every family to fill that out. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you. And also, if there's any praises that we can uh, celebrate with you, please share that. Uh, one praise this morning is that we have a face in here who hasn't been since October. Mark Jones, our elder, is back. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Such an encouragement to me to see you, brother. Glad, glad you're here. Uh, if you came prepared to give, you can do one of two ways. Number one, we have a box out in the, hop, the, lo hobby, the lobby, Hobby Lobby. Uh, to the right, you'll see a black box on the wall. You can place it in there. Uh, you can also go to mygospelcc.org and you can find a place to give online. A couple things that are going on this week. Uh, first of all, youth are back on tonight. Uh, it's the second week, and so we're going to gather here at 5 o'clock till 6.30. If you could let myself or Sarah or Connor Mathis know if you're coming, that would be helpful. Uh, just to make sure somebody's coming. Uh, with, in light of the holidays, we know it can be crazy. But just a time to gather today. So bring a snack to share. Bring a favorite board game if you have. Uh, just to gather together to build relationships. Also, if you are a young adult, uh, we're going to have an announcement. I'm going to send an email out just to give you all the details. But this Friday, December 17th, there's going to be a young adult gathering. This is not just for singles. If you're married and you consider yourself a young adult, we're not going to discriminate if you feel like you're a young adult. We'd love for you to participate in that. So we'll give you more information via email this week. Uh, but just would love to just continue to build those relationships. We have a lot of young people, praise God, right? A lot of young adults that God has brought here. And so we want to uh, help that fellowship along on Friday. Uh, just some service times to be aware of that we've been sharing. Uh, first of all, we're having a Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. And so last year we had that. It's, it's much more of a liturgical, I guess, service is what you'd say. But just a wonderful time to gather. We did this last year. And it's just a great time to gather as a, as a, a church family. Uh, maybe you have an extended family that's outside uh, of this area who's coming to visit. You want to bring them. Uh, that's just going to be like an hour service. But it really is a cool time to prepare our hearts for Christmas morning. And also, in light of just the traveling that goes on uh, and all of that, on December 26th and January 2nd, we're only going to have one service on those Sundays. And that will be at 10 a.m. So give you a chance to sleep in. Uh, but we'll just have one service at 10 on those Sundays. Well, let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> this morning we are in the second part of a three-part series entitled, He Shall Be Called. And of course we're looking at the names that were prophesied of Jesus in the book of Isaiah Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And of course the book of Isaiah is, is, a, is visions that God had given him while 
he was alive during the reign of some kings of Judah. And what a beautiful thing that we read in chapter 7 of the virgin who would give birth to a son who would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't it amazing that God would leave his throne and dwell amongst us? And the names given to Jesus are given in chapter 9, and we will read that passage again this morning. So follow along with me, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot that the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Emmanuel. We thank you that you left your throne to come and dwell amongst us, to bring us peace, to rule and to reign forever. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we talk about the fact that you are mighty God and everlasting Father, that you would bring us peace in light of that. <clears throat> Lord, that we would have great hope and comfort knowing whom we serve, knowing the God who rules over us justly. God, would you encourage us this morning? Would you help us during this Christmas season not to grow familiar with the stories and, and just kind of go through the motions, but Lord, may we again be amazed that Jesus would come this way. And Lord, in, in the fears and the failures that we face in this life, Lord, would you encourage us this morning with who you are. Lord, we need more of you in our lives. We need a deeper understanding of who you are. And so thank you that you've given us your word to help us do that. So Lord, open our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So of course, last week we looked at Wonderful Counselor. And next week, we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. And Aaron's actually going to bring the message next week as we look at that. But today, we're going to look at Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And I want you to notice something about these names given to Jesus. Do you see the Trinity in this? Wonderful Counselor. Who, who do we look at in Scripture as our Counselor? The Holy Spirit, right? And of course, mighty God, everlasting Father, reminds us of God the Father. Prince of Peace, who is that speaking of? Speaking of Jesus, the Son. So we see 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit here in this passage. And the first thing that we need to understand today is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is the fullness of God in man. And so when we read of God in the scriptures, Jesus is right there. He's not to come. We don't read Genesis and we're longing for Jesus to come. Jesus is already present. We understand that, right? Jesus is fully God. So let's jump into what it means that he is mighty God, everlasting Father. Now, usually I prefer to take one passage and just expound upon that. But for this morning, for the sake of understanding mighty God, everlasting Father, and look at Jesus, we're actually going to bounce around a lot to a lot of different scriptures to get a good understanding of what it means that God, that Jesus is mighty God, and that he is everlasting Father. And I've got three points under each title. And so as we look at mighty God, here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus is mighty to save us. Jesus is mighty to save us. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look to see, I mean, in order to understand that Jesus is mighty, we have to understand our condition apart from Christ. Because if if we want to see God as mighty, we have to understand how broken and how separated from him we are. And so Matthew 19, verse 23, follow along with me as I read a few verses here. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so he gives an illustration here. It's kind of a ridiculous one, isn't it? Like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Like, how, how could a camel possibly go through the eye of a needle, and yet that is easier than a rich man to enter heaven? The point of that is to help us understand that with all of us, it is impossible to have peace with God. It's impossible to get to heaven apart from a miracle happen, apart from mighty God intervening on our behalf. Amongst many people... There are those who believe that Jesus was nothing more than a good example. Like he came and he showed us how we, we should live. But he wasn't really God and certainly he couldn't possibly save us. He was a, a moral man but not a savior. But that couldn't be farther from the truth, could it? And in order to truly see that Jesus is mighty to save, let's go even deeper to understand our brokenness because of our sin. Romans 5.12 says this, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's why you might hear us talk about the fact that apart from Christ, we are all dead. 
to him. We're all born dead. And what can dead things do? They can be dead. That's it. There's no, there's no hope. There's nothing a dead person can do except lie there. And that's what we are from Christ. There's nothing we can do apart from him. We are born dead, and it's because of our sin. Consider what Isaiah 64, 6 and 7 has to say. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. I would tell you what a polluted garment is, but I'm not going to do that for the sake of our uh, sanity this morning. But it's not a pretty picture. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Our, our sin has swallowed us up, and it has buried us, and it has put a barrier between us and God, and God cannot hear from us. No one seeks after God. So we have some, I've heard some people say, like, well, I've been, I've been seeking after God my whole life. No, you haven't. There's no one who calls upon him. There is no one who is seeking after him. It is he who comes after us because our sins have made us dead. And therefore, because we are dead to God, we don't seek after him. Consider what Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, because of our sin, it's impossible for God to hear us in our sinful state. That's why nobody seeks after him. Because we're all doing our own thing. We're all swallowed up with our own pride. We're all living on our own thrones. We're it's kingdom Ben that I live for. And you are on the throne of your own kingdom apart from Christ. Our sin, which all of us are born with, separates us from God. And remember, what are we created for? And what's the, what's the mission of our church? Glorify God, right? So because our mission, because we are created to glorify God is such that it is that, and because of our sin, we cannot possibly do what we are created for. Right? Because we can't seek, we can't seek God, we don't know him. It's like a car that decides, oh, I want to be a boat. What happens with that? <laughs> it doesn't work out, does it? A car can't float in water. It's like Michael Jordan quitting basketball to play baseball. Just doesn't work. It's like going to shop at Walmart on a Sunday night. Have you ever done that? It's the worst thing you can do. Because there's like two lanes and 50,000 people there. I'm, 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 not, I'm not lying. Every time I go there past like 5 o'clock on Sunday night at Walmart, it is an absolute mess. And we're a mess because we're created to do something that we can't possibly do on our own. Because of our sin that has separated us from him. It's impossible to bring him glory which is why we need a Savior. Brothers and sisters, the good news this morning is Jesus is mighty to save. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ 
we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, the glory of Christmas when I think of this innocent baby who would stay innocent his whole life and then would be brutally crucified on a cross for our sin. This man who knew no sin took on our sin on the cross because we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't sacrifice ourselves in order to earn favor with God. We needed a perfect, spotless sacrifice. And that's exactly what Jesus is for us. And so through our faith in Christ and through our repentance, the righteousness of God is placed on us. That's a miracle. Do you realize that? Whether or not you were saved from the deepest pit of hell possible on this earth, or whether you had a relatively easy life, but God opened your eyes and you escaped a lot of this stuff, regardless, every salvation story is an absolute miracle that can only be accomplished by the mighty hand of God. I say that because maybe some of you are like me who didn't have a traumatic transformation, per se, from our earthly perspective. I didn't... I didn't wasn't caught up in sexual sin and drugs and alcohol and all those things. I kind of wanted to. Like, I, I used to want this life of, like, dramatic change. But everybody I talked to who lived that was like, you know what, you don't, you don't want that. And then I realized that, you know what, I am such a mess in my heart. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You could know it. To know that Jesus would love a guy like me with a heart like mine is mind-blowing. And that's what happens in Christ. He is mighty to save us. So the question for you this morning is, has God saved you? Has he opened your eyes to your sin and led you to repentance for sin and faith in Christ? If you haven't yet, or maybe God is stirring in your soul, please don't leave here. Today, before you talk to somebody about that, Jesus is mighty to save even the vilest, the worst sinner. Not only is he mighty to save, but Jesus is also mighty to use broken people. He is mighty to use broken people. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, that is 1 Peter 4 verses 10 through 11. I put that up there to help you see. Let me just go back here. Does it say, if you have received a gift? Is that what it says here? For all you English, non-English majors like myself, I married one because I I prefer math all day long. (laughs) It says, as each has received a gift. If you are a believer in Christ, he has gifted you. Therefore, none of us can sit here and say, I have nothing to offer. Yes, you do. Well, actually... I could agree with you (laughs) to a certain degree. It's like, you're right. Apart from Christ, you do have nothing to offer. But with Christ, he has gifted you. 
in order to serve, in order to be a good steward, in order to do it for the glory of God because he's the one that has gifted you. There are no such things as unuseful believers. That's an oxymoron. It, it does not exist. There's a story of a water bearer in India who had these two pots. And every day, one pot was perfectly made, and the other one was a crackpot. And every day, they would go to the well and fill up these pots, the, the pot that the water bearer would, and carry them back. And every time they got to back to the destination, the full pot that had no cracks in it was full of water. The other one only had half the water because it was cracked. And the full pot was so proud of himself because of what he had brought, that he had brought everything. And the crackpot was very depressed and very discouraged because he could only take half the water back to the house. And so one day he talks to the water bearer and says, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so useless here. I can only give you half the water. Like, what's the point of using me anymore because I'm no good? And the water bearer says, I want you to pay attention next time we fill up and go back to the house. Notice all the flowers that are growing on your side. And so the, the broken pot notices these flowers as they go by and they get back to the house. He's still discouraged. And he's like, but, I, but I'm only giving you half the water. And the water bearer says once again, listen to me. There are no flowers on the other side. But you have the ability to even out the water and water these beautiful flowers that I get to cut. And I get to put on the master's table. You see, just because you're broken doesn't mean you're useless. And the same is true for us. And the reality is there are no perfect pots in this room, right? We are all broken. We all have our failures. We all have our weaknesses. But the point isn't for you to be noticed anyway, is it? <laughs> the point is to use the gifts that God has given every single believer for the glory of God. And if you are a believer in Christ, here's the hope for you. God uses broken pots. Isn't that a miracle? Like what do we do with broken people in the world? Don't we just kind of cast them off? Why don't you go look up the abortion statistics to see who we're aborting? Because we can find certain things out and decide that they're no longer worth anything. It just doesn't look good. <laughs> because he is mighty to do whomever he wills. And he will use every single believer. That's why he's gifted all of us. So don't be discouraged this morning if you think you have nothing to offer. Jesus would have you understand, listen, you are my clay and I'm your potter. And I can use you whenever I want to. You are beautiful in my sight because of the way I've made you. Not because of anything you've done. Just consider for a moment all of the messed up people God has used for his glory. Have you ever, like, here's the thing about certain music, especially kids' music, who likes to make heroes out of the characters in the Bible. 
do we understand that the Bible is not a book of heroes? But rather the book is, the Bible is a book of one hero. Listen to the broken people that God used. Moses couldn't speak right. Abraham was a liar. Gideon was the least of his brothers. Joseph was an arrogant child. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Peter denied Jesus three times. Paul persecuted Christians. Listen, when you read of these stories of these mighty men of God in the Bible, they're only mighty because of who's behind them. <laughs> Not mighty in and of themselves. These are all broken people, just like us. And God has placed us uniquely in our neighborhoods, in our homes even, you can say, in our job places, specifically to be the salt and the light. To be the vessels that God would use, broken or not, he uses you where you are at. And so don't allow your weaknesses to blind you from the fact that God can use you. Jesus is mighty to use broken people. Thirdly, when it comes to the fact that Jesus is mighty God, Jesus is mighty to rule over all. Because Jesus is mighty, it means he is all-powerful. He is sovereign over everything. He has no superior. He has no rival. He has no equal. Consider what scripture says about the power of Jesus. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made again that's John 1 verses 1 through 3 what do we see here we see that Christ has the power and had the power to create the earth and if he is the creator then everything is subject to him right like a computer programmer the co computer can only do what the programmer tells it to do right it has authority over it. And because Jesus is our creator, he has absolute authority over us. He is all-powerful. Hebrews 2.8 says this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. You realize that? There is nothing outside of Jesus' control. Jesus never says, oops. Jesus never is stunned. He's never surprised. He's never thrown off. He doesn't have to think of a plan B because plan A didn't work. Jesus is absolutely powerful over all things. And I think it's worth observing, isn't it, that what is the name listed first in Isaiah 9-6? What's the first name given to Jesus? Wonderful Counselor. I mean, isn't it important to understand that, like, Wonderful Counselor before Mighty God? Because if we just had a Mighty God who was all-powerful, without it, the understanding that he's a Wonderful Counselor, that would be pretty scary. There have been a lot of powerful people in the world who aren't Wonderful Counselors and has created terrible things, results. Hitler, per se. And the millions of people who died 
under his reign. But here's the thing. Jesus is all-powerful, but he's also a wonderful counselor. And so he cares for us with his might, with his power. He doesn't use it to abuse it. He uses his power for his glory and for our good. You know, when I was thinking about the fact that God is mighty, that Jesus is mighty, it made me think about what happens at school grounds, especially amongst boys. Uh, for all you boys, if you rem- all you guys, if you remember, uh, you, me- you remember those playground fights where you were talking about whose dad was the strongest? <laughs> my dad would beat your dad up. Oh, yeah, my dad would beat your dad up. And it's like I just think of, like, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously graciously give us all things? What expense did God spare? He spared no expense for our pardon. He goes on. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And if Jesus is interceding for us, guess what? God listens. Christians, you are in good hands with Christ. He is watching over you. He is working everything that happens to you for your good. Jesus is mighty to rule over all. Not only is Jesus called, though, mighty God, he's also called everlasting Father. Everlasting means forever, continually, always, unlimited duration of time. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. You know, some people want to claim that Jesus was born and lived a good life, and so God raised him up a level in his divinity. But we've already discussed the fact that Jesus has always been. He was there at the beginning. In the beginning, John 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read that. Jesus has always been. He didn't just live a good life, and so God raised him up and made his sacrifice acceptable. It was the plan from the beginning. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. This was always in the works. And so Jesus has no beginning or end. Jesus is an everlasting father. And so I want to talk about three primary things a loving father does. Certainly it's not limited to these things, but these are When you think of a loving father, these are three primary characteristics of that. And we're speaking of a father who's everlasting. How many of you have perfect fathers? Anybody? No perfect fathers in this room, right? Jesus is a perfect father and he's everlasting. How many have had fathers who have been had streaks of perfection? (laughs) Yeah, like we've all had streaks where we're doing it well. Jesus is never-endingly good. He's never-endingly perfect. And so here are the three characteristics of a loving father. He loves, he nurtures, and he protects. And so let's look at each of these individually. First of all, 
Jesus will always love us. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, Jesus will always love you. Always. Even in your inconsistencies. He will always love you. And there's nothing like a father's undying love, is there? I have a great earthly father who I know loves me unconditionally. And I've done some stupid things in my life, and yet he's always been there for me. To know that our father's love for us is undying, no matter what we do, brings great comfort. To consider what the scriptures have to say about his love for us. John 3, 16. We all know this one if you've been around the church at all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How many of you have given your son for somebody? The closest thing we have, I, I have a friend who's, whose son took his life, teenager, last year. Just in the midst of pandemic and the, everything going on with COVID, I, don't, I just didn't know how to go through everything and they're starting to get letters from these people who, whose organs were donated to them. That's the closest thing I could think of. But that's not by choice. How many of us by choice would be willing to give up our own son and yet that's what God did. He loved us so much he gave the most valuable thing he could possibly give. Jesus didn't figuratively come and die. Jesus literally came, literally suffered, literally felt the pain and the suffering of the cross, of the rejection. That's what happened for us. He loved us so much that he gave his only son. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So we could understand that, right? Like we can understand like the heroic sacrifices that we see in movies of, of Iron Man sacrificing his life to save the world. Uh, we can understand like somebody who's willing to, to, to die for a loved one. But listen, that's not the case for us. We weren't these good people that Jesus decided to give his life for. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the bar getting ourselves drunk out of our minds, while we were delving in sin and loving it, that's when Jesus died for us, when we weren't running after him. That's how deep Jesus' love runs for us. It's unending for his people. We don't have to worry about him giving up on us. He gave himself. There is no greater love. So whether or not your earthly father loved you, Jesus is a perfect father for us. And he's not going anywhere. He will always love his children. Here's the second thing. Jesus will always nurture us. Jesus will always nurture us. Now, no loving father leaves his kids to fend for themselves growing up. They're not just born and we just kind of leave them be. A loving father nurtures and cares for the baby, feeds the baby when it needs food and, and helps raise it up. And as it becomes a teenager, they start teaching them about what it means to be an adult and what it means to grow up. That's what a loving father does. It helps the child mature. 
And Jesus is no different. In fact, he is a perfect father who nurtures us. Philippians 1.6, you've heard me say this probably a million times. Here's a million and one. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How many people are like me where, like, you, you start a project and you're like, sometimes you just, you have all these projects going on that you just don't feel. Like, you, you get the, like, we're, we're getting ready to move in this week and we do not have everything done. And we have, like, this stairway going to the second floor. And it's like, how are we going to get to the ceiling? And so we got most of the walls painted, but we don't have, like, the, where the, the corner where the walls, walls meet painted. We don't have the trim on top. And I'm like, how long is that going to be here? That will probably be there until we sell the house, you know. <laughs> But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't like start the work and then kind of get sidetracked with everything else. He doesn't like lose focus of us. He doesn't forget that we're struggling. Like he is there finishing the work. He is there working. We already read in Romans 8 that Jesus is interceding for us. This is the nurturing part. Like he began the good work and guess what? He's going to finish it. How many of you feel like, man, am I ever going to get over this? You ever have like an issue in your life? Like, am I going to get past this sin or is this going to be on me the rest of my life? What Jesus wants you to know, hey, look, I began the good work. And guess what? I'm going to be the one that completes it. Don't lose hope in yourself. Find great hope in me. Turn your eyes to me. I'm the one who's conforming you to my image. Jesus brought you to life and he will carry you until you are complete. Consider Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he saved us and therefore he's going to conform us into the image of his son. He is making us into Jesus. I mean, this is the miracle that happens to me where I feel like, man, I'm such a mess. Where do I keep messing up? And then I like pause and kind of look to see where I've, where I've come in life and realize Man, Jesus has brought me so far. How did I get here? It's why it's so important to have other people in our lives because we can get so discouraged by our own progress. And then somebody comes alongside us and encourages us and, and points out what they're seeing. And you're just like, I didn't see that, but thank you for sharing that with me. That's God's grace. And the more we are conformed to the image of our son, guess what? We don't start thinking, man, I, I'm pretty good. Like the Christian life doesn't work that way. We don't, get, we don't grow and mature in our faith and start thinking, man, I, I'm a pretty awesome guy. It's more like this. Man, why do I keep screwing up? And then we're like just more amazed at God's grace. And then we realize that he is the one that provided good works in advance in order that I may walk in him. Because I'm his workmanship. He's the one conforming me to the image of his son. I'm not doing it on my own. Like, he is the one that's conforming me. He is the one that's making any good out of us. He is a loving father who always nurtures us. So, Jesus will always love us. Jesus will always nurture us. And lastly this, Jesus will always protect us. Jesus will always protect us. Now, there is something we must understand or else we can get sideways here with, with this. To say Jesus protects us does not mean that we will not experience any pain. It doesn't mean that we won't experience anything that's absolutely traumatic. 
It doesn't mean that life is going to go easy and he's going to take away all the things that might get in our way and trip us up. It doesn't mean that. Broken relationships still happen. Sin is still a real issue in our world. And as long as this earth is the way it is, there will be suffering. But God has put a leash on it. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that he allows the suffering to only go so far before he calls it quits. Before he says stop. And there's no guarantee on this side of heaven that our suffering will end until we die. But here's the thing. We know that in the end, in the end, he's going to make everything right. Amen? In the end, he is going to renew us, wipe away our tears, take away the struggles, the sins, take away the hurting and the sickness. It will be done with. And here's what also I mean by protection is that he will always be by our side. Listen to what Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 has to say. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We shouldn't fear those who can harm the body, but rather those who can harm the soul. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He can't take away our salvation. No man can take away our eternal security in Christ. Amen? Not even us. Not even us. We have nothing to fear when it comes to knowing who our protector is. And scripture is full of characteristics of God being our protection. Listen to God's word here. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Don't you find this so fascinating? Like in the midst of battle, what is the last thing you're thinking about? I mean, who's thinking about, man, right in the middle of a heavy war, maybe it's a super major conflict with people. I mean, do you stop and think, man, I could really use a steak right now. <laughs> like nobody's, nobody's thinking about food in the midst of war, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of strife and fear and fighting. And yet here's Jesus saying, listen, I've got this. Just come over here. Even in the midst of this, I've got a table set for us. Let's just have a little meal together. You're good. You don't have to let this get in the way of us having a meal. You don't have to let your anxiety stir your stomach up out of control. Calm down. I'm your protector. My rod and my staff will protect you. It's amazing to me. Listen to what Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. I've gone to this over and over and over again. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is what? 
an everlasting rock. No chipping happens on this rock. No fear of this rock crumbling and falling apart underneath us. He is an everlasting rock. And we can erase our fear. How? By putting, setting our minds on him. Trusting in him. He is an everlasting rock. Isaiah, or Psalm 46, 1, and, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and, the, and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These are no minor things. But even if those things happen, I think of, I think of those in Kentucky who were wiped out by this tornado. What a tragic thing. And I don't think lightly as if that's not a big deal. But for believers, there is a sense where we don't have to fear, even in the midst of these things. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, not a distant help. He's not a phone call away. He's right here, a very present help. That means he can't get any closer. He is right here in the midst of your storms. And though it seems like the earth below you is spreading apart and you could fall at any moment, God says, no, I'm your rock. I'm right there. I'm very present with you. In trouble. And this points out too, the storms will come, won't they? But we do not have to fear because Jesus is our refuge and our strength. Very present help in trouble. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that baby came 2,000 years ago. That was no ordinary child. In that manger was our mighty God. Mighty to save us. Mighty to use broken people. Mighty to rule over all. In that manger was our everlasting Father. The one who will always love you. The one who will always nurture you. The one who will always protect your soul. Let me leave you with these words from John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come back. And take you to myself. That where I am. You may also be. Let's pray. Father you are mighty to save. Oh Lord. Each of us has a story. A miracle. For those who have repented and placed their faith. Of you rescuing us. When we were dead and lost in our trespasses and in our sin. You are mighty to use broken people, Lord. That even all of us, even though all of us here are broken vessels, Lord, you still use us. It's amazing that you do that. But it's true. And Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. And if you are for us, who can be against us? 
Lord, thank you that you are our everlasting Father, that you will always love us, Lord, that you are conforming us to the image of your Son. God, that you are protecting us, that you are holding on to our souls. You who began a good work will bring it to completion. And God, we great, find great hope knowing that you are preparing a place for us. And Lord, we confess, we long to be with you forever. Come, Lord Jesus. But for now, we thank you that you are an ever-present help in time of need. A very present help. Our refuge, our strength, our everlasting rock. So God, help us meet us here as we struggle through knowing that we have great hope and a firm foundation in you. Thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we respond.
We serve a mighty God, amen? Let me leave you with these action steps, and we'll leave them on the screen so you can write them down here in a little bit. First thing you can do, memorize Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. Again, just to remind you, that's keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Read Psalm 147. This is just a, a psalm to help. Uh, it talks about the praiseworthiness of God, the glory of God, the mightiness of God. Spend some time reading through that. And then I just, these last two, I just encourage you to do your own research, to remind yourselves and write them down. Have them, let these be things that you go to over and over again. List out verses that speak of God's power. Remind yourself of what God is capable to do because we forget. And also, list out verses that speak of God's care, his fatherliness for you. And we see that God cares deeply for you. He's not a distant God. He's not some abstract person out there. He's a very present help in time of need. And so just remember this week as you are pondering the manger, the story of Jesus Christ, he is mighty God and everlasting Father. Have a great week.